Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. We're taking our reading today in Exodus, the 34th chapter. And it begins with the man of God, Moses. God has consecrated him for a great work, and indeed, he is leading the children of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh into the promised land as the Lord had instructed him. And then he had experiences of going up the mountain and coming back to deliver the oracles of God. It's through those days that we see even the Ten Commandments given. Now, in the 34th chapter, an experience is given where he comes from the presence of God. If we will begin from 32, the verse. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And until Moses had done speaking with them, the Bible says he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spoke unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. With who? With God. Now, picture this experience. God has consecrated his minister, and uh, Moses goes into the presence of God, and as he goes into the presence of God, he comes back and his face is radiant, it is shining, and when the children of Israel look at him, they are amazed at the presence that makes the face shine. But as he's speaking to them, this is from their perspective, as he is speaking to them, they realize that at one point, he gets a veil and covers himself and turns away and then goes back into the presence of God. And then after some time again, he comes back and then he speaks to them as his face is shining. When he notices the radiance of his face, he comes and then he ministers to them. And after that, they see the veil again covered by him and then he goes back in the presence of God. If you were to interpret this from where they were seeing Moses, this is what they saw. They saw a man whose face was shining and he comes and speaks to them. And then after that, he gets a veil and covers himself and goes back in the presence of God. And then he comes back again and his face is shining. Then he covers himself and goes back in the presence of God. But that was not the reality of what was happening. From the perspective of Moses, and with God, he is in the presence of God and the anointing of God shines upon him. 
And then he goes in the presence of the people to minister with them with a radiant face. And he commands the power and respect of a man of God. And as he's ministering from afar, he can notice that that radiance on the face is dimming. That light on the face is dimming. And as he notices that, he does not want them to see his face dimming. And then he what? He covers himself with a veil and goes back in the presence of God where he was waiting on the Lord. And then he charges himself like a battery, a car battery or phone battery. And when he's fully charged again under the anointing, he comes back again into the presence of the people and ministers to them. And when he sees that the glory is diminishing, the power, the shine is living, he still goes out into the presence of God. So with them, he's a man with a shining face speaking and covering himself with a veil and then speaking and then going back in the presence of God and coming back and speaking and covering himself with a veil. With him, he's trying to hide something. What is he hiding? He's hiding the reality that the glory on him is bound to diminish after some time. He's hiding the reality from them that that radiance on his face is not a constant radiance. He doesn't want them to see it dim. Somebody shout hallelujah. Today I came to speak about insecurity. I came to speak about insecurity right there, right there. This portion of scripture shows us that the man Moses was dealing with a form of insecurity. He was dealing with a kind of insecurity. And what was the insecurity? that I am appearing a certain way to them constantly. And because I'm appearing a certain way to them constantly, I want them to receive and accept and deal with me only that way. But should the glory on my life diminish, should the radiance of my face start to decimate, I don't want them to see or notice that what is upon me can actually fail. So I will cover myself and go charge myself again and then come back in their dwelling, minister to them from a place where I'm shining, so that I can leave an impression with them that I'm always the constantly shining fellow. It was not divine instruction for Moses to cover his face. It was a reaction of a man responding to something that was fading away and he did not have an answer. He wanted to keep a certain status quo, a certain acceptation before the people as their leader. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is insecurity. And I'm going deep here. What is insecurity? Insecurity is the state or experience within a person that makes them unstable. They're unstable. They have no confidence. They're not firm in life. They don't make decisions with a certain affirmation. They are not secure. They don't feel like they have enough security around them. They lack a certain security around them. They feel that they are not safe. Have you been around people who feel in many aspects of life they are not safe? They are dating somebody, but they don't feel that it's safe. They are relating with people, but they don't feel that they're safe. They are living in a certain place where other people are comfortable and they're not comfortable. They don't feel safe. They don't feel safe from attacks. 
They don't feel safe. Have you been around people who are constantly premeditating attacks, spiritual attacks? Everything around them expects a certain attack. Everything around them expects a certain sort of failure. She's going for an interview and she's entering the office, but she has this mind that I have gone for six, seven interviews and all of them have failed. And then she or he enters that interview room with a feeling that this is going to fail. They're insecure. They carry no affirmation of spirit and faith within them to believe that that job is theirs. They never feel that they have enough. They lack a self-confidence. They're not confident in themselves. Even when they have all ability and skill and potential, they always disqualify themselves because they weigh themselves against others. Or sometimes there's a spirit that speaks in their ears and tell them that you're not good enough. They don't carry a personal assurance in life. They're not assured in life. Everything that they do is a place of trying as much as possible to collect the opinions of two, three, four, five thousand people so that they can move. They have no self-assurance. They have no power within them to hold onto something in faith without the fear that this thing will go wrong. If I can go deeper, somebody goes and looks at themselves in the mirror and they feel insecure. They feel they're not beautiful enough. They feel they're not handsome enough. They feel they're not tall enough. They feel their teeth are not right. They feel their nose is not right. They feel their ears are bigger. Their eyes are bigger. You know, their nails are not beautiful. They don't have a confidence in the self. They are insecure. I know people who, if five people looked at them when they were walking, they can even fall down. They're so insecure that three or four people looking at them can actually send chills from their head through their spine to their legs and even start sweating. They can't speak before people. They have no confidence. And the reasons why, some, it's because of their upbringing. As they're growing up, people spoke negatively into their lives. Their parents told them, you're ugly, you're fat, you're this, you're that. You know, when children are young, whatever is given to them, they take it and so to outlive that kind of negative energy is a hard experience. You know, some of them, it's not upbringing, but some of them, it's the exposures that they go through in life. When we were little, our sisters used to have dolls, but I never saw a black Barbie when I was growing up. I had there some recently, but I've never seen a black Barbie. And so a little girl grows up with a mindset of how a girl should be like. They must have the body of a baby doll. They must have the hair of a baby doll. They must have the nails of a baby doll. They must have a nose of baby. They must have the eyes of baby. They must have the lips of baby. That's what they call beautiful. And so even our African girls, they don't like their color. They're insecure in their color. They're insecure with their hair. Ah, yeah, yeah, this is hard. They're even insecure with their nails. She looks at her nails and she's like, I wonder the nails. But that's the spirit of insecurity. Somebody looks at themselves and they feel they're too short to get married. And so they think that they need to go to a certain height. I saw a video 
recently of operations in India where they lengthen people. They are very painful, very painful. And there are many months of healing to just add three or four inches or two inches. And somebody is willing to go through all of that pain just to be two or three inches longer in height. They break the legs. They break the legs and then pull them and start expanding them with a the metal every day because they need a certain height. I've seen programs, especially in developed nations, where now people go to shape their teeth differently, to shape their lips differently. There's nothing wrong with the lip, but they want it bigger. They want it longer, you understand? There's nothing wrong with her, you know, butt, but she wants it bigger. There's nothing wrong with her hips, but she wants them bigger. Her breasts, they're natural, but they're not big enough. So she has to pump things and then they cut inside and then put something inside and then they sew it because she wants to look like a certain doll. She wants to look like a certain queen. She wants to look like a certain superstar. She wants to look like a certain person X. And it's dangerous because when you are dealing with a spirit of insecurity without knowing you start to misrepresent and corrupt or pervert or defile the image of God in you to preserve your position or status before people. It just happens. You don't know how, but it happens. Because remember, he made you fearfully and wonderfully. But then an evil spirit comes to you and tells you, you know, this is not good. This is not beautiful. And then what do you do? you start to misrepresent and corrupt it, or you defile that very image. For the Bible says you were made in the image and likeness of God. Who told you you're ugly? Oh, no, no. Rewind. Adam, who told you you are naked? You see where it comes from? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? That means before man fell, they were not even conscious about what was beautiful and what wasn't. Because for them, beauty was in the eyes of truth. They beheld themselves as according to the nature that God had made them. They understood and admired their true maker and everything with them was perfect because their vision was not yet fallen. We don't see in the garden, Adam and Eve talking about the beauty, no. It says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's it. It's enough. And that's what connects the two. Somebody shout hallelujah. But when man fell and Satan awakes them to the knowledge of good and evil, they are awakened to many things that they're not supposed to be awakened to or even are not supposed to live with. And those spirits of insecurity start communicating you're not tall enough. Buy a certain shoe. It's the only way the girls will be attracted to you. You know? I tell people, was God so stupid to give you the color that you have? That you were wise enough in your own mind to find the color that you desired? Somebody goes into a cosmetic shop and then they buy things to change the very image in which God created them. That's only proof that you do not know God. You do not know God. Women, I'm sorry. What makes you think that when you get another thing on your nails 
and add it to make it longer, you're going to become more beautiful. Who told you that longer nails define marriage or purpose? They don't. Somebody say, oh no, but it doesn't matter. You, of course you can't go to hell because you bought nails. But what in that thing tells you not to appreciate what God gave you and makes you buy something plastic and it's long, you can't even bathe right because... I know I'm offending, but that's the apostolic. My sister had children who are going in a school, a certain school in Kampala. And they wrote letters to all the students that our black girls were supposed to cut their hair to one inch or lower. And in that very school, Indian girls came with long hair, white girls in the same school came with long hair. And they convinced our girls that African hair was ugly. So that means God is dumb. That's what they're saying, that God is dumb. And so a few parents in that very school, they started to oppose it and fight it. I believe they won it later. Why? Because how can you tell a little girl, two, three years old, remember the hair of a woman is her glory. And then you tell her that your hair is ugly from a little age. And tomorrow you want that black girl to stand with white girls one day and feel that she's secure enough and beautiful as they are. How, how can that happen? Whether it's curled or it's straight, it's beautiful. Leave our hair. Somebody shout hallelujah. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, some people are still colonized in their minds. No offense. I see how you... I saw a video in New India where women were selling hair. They sell hair. And then they go to the temples and then some sell or donate their hairs in temples. And then businessmen come to those temples and buy those pieces of hair. And then they are sewn together. And then you walk in a shop and then you get another woman's image and put it on your head. Because it's the only way you can feel beautiful and special. You put it on your head. You feel that that's the only way you can be beautiful. Let me tell you, if we were marrying wigs, everyone with a wig would be married. No, no, no. I understand that some days you can have a bad hair day. So no judgment for all of you. There's somebody who can put it on because they have no choice. Yeah, there are exceptions in every rule. There are some who are putting on because they have an issue. They have a disease on their head and they can't grow hair. That's understandable. I've known people who have had attacks on their nails and they cannot grow nails and their nails are out and probably they buy different... Yeah, that's understandable. That's remedial. Somebody shout hallelujah. When we're talking about that outward adorning of the plating of hair and of the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel. Not that they are bad, but those are not the definition of beauty. Somebody shout hallelujah. In fact, that is the best and mother of all falsehood because you start to live a stage-managed life. You start to live like a clown, a fictional character. Do you know how many people never feel that they have enough? but you're corrupting the image of God every day. Let me tell you, if you are destined to marry or get married, some of the things you think you need to attract, you will realize actually you don't need them to attract because God knows what makes you attractive. The Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. The Bible says he makes all things beautiful in their own time. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. But it goes beyond. You don't know what people can and are willing to do because they don't feel they're enough. You've had children in Europe committing suicide because they've been refused to change a certain part of their body. And they feel that if I'm not allowed to change this part of my body, I would rather commit suicide than die. It's a very, very, very hard thing. But it happens to us even without knowing. I'm giving several examples, but there are many ways we are insecure. And we don't even know that we are insecure. But every time we're doing that, we're corrupting what God has made in us and with us. Gray hair can be beautiful on your head. You don't need to darken it every year until you die. No. Listen, God knew when gray hair would come. And the Bible says that a hoary head is of much glory if it edges in righteousness. It's about time you even got proud of who you are, your weight, your height. It's okay. It is well. Love and fall in love with what God created in you. There's a word there called Meraki. The place where a man or a woman learns to define their self in a thing. And in defining their self or giving their self or implanting their part within an activity that their strain is felt, that can actually beautify things. If you are conscious of what God has done and made in you, and then you are willing and ready to allow that beauty from within from the conviction of who God is because he is in there with you 100%. He dwells in you. If he's comfortable with your hair in you, why uncomfortable with your hair? If you can allow that beauty to come out of you and then share that beauty and yourself within your job, within your car, even if you drive a car and it was ugly, you'll beautify it. Even if you hold the oldest phone there is and you have a certain beauty within you, you'll beautify that phone and somebody will want to have it. You'll put on clothes and you'll beautify them and another one will put them on and they get crooked. Why? Because it's within, it's not without. Beauty is within, not without. So Satan has deceived us and he has put us on stage as performers and convinced us that there's a certain preparation that we need to match certain places in life, a certain sufficiency that we need to match a certain place in life, a certain skill or talent or ability that we need for us to match a certain acceptation in life. Go back through the Bible and see the men God has dealt with. God looks for Moses, a stutterer. He can't even speak right. He stammers. And then he says, I'm going to use you. I know you're not eloquent but I want to use you. And all through his life, Moses had no eloquence. For Aaron, the Bible says, was given the words of Moses. But we see the eloquence of Moses in the Spirit, in the New Testament. The man of the Spirit says that Moses was a mighty orator. So how is he a mighty orator? Yet in Scripture, he was a stutterer. It is because if you had Moses from the Spirit, he was the mightiest, most eloquent orator. If you had him in the physical, he was a stutterer. Somebody shout hallelujah. He gives beauty for ashes. He gives strength for weakness. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. Elijah, very prophetic, but he had an unstable spirit of fear that he could slay hundreds of false prophets. And in a few minutes, the same man of God is running into a cave to run from a woman who has no covenant with God. Very insecure, but God used him. So the Bible says it comes from the poorest family of the poorest tribe. David, Solomon, you saw his issues with women. Isaiah, a man of unclean lips. Mephibosheth, he sat at the table of the king, yet he was crippled in both feet. Prostitutes sat at the feet of Jesus Christ. I mean, go through history. Some of them are even in the lineage. Rahab was a prostitute. And look at through the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. She's a mother. God has used weak people and weak things that he might shame the wise. When God wants to use you and consecrate you, he does not consider your height. He does not consider your weight. He does not consider the size of your eyes. He doesn't consider your teeth. He doesn't consider your age. He doesn't consider your color. He doesn't consider your hairline. He doesn't consider anything from without. He goes within. He goes within and starts to define a man's destiny. But the deception that we have with the spirit of insecurity is that it starts to push us into the deception of earning a sufficiency that only God can give. And we can never give enough. You can never beautify yourself enough. You can never do enough because the more you do it and to God you're corrupting or defiling His image, it means the more and more you become sad because there is something within you dying and you have no definition from it, for of it. You see what I'm saying? So I have to ask myself, what causes that? What's the cause? Where does that come from? Why are people like that? Why are we like that? And I got the answer. The Lord told me, it's the doctrine. It's the teaching. It's our positioning concerning the covenants. In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, if you read from the fourth verse, now I want us to read the NIV because it brings out something so beautiful that I want us to emphasize here. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Did you hear that? Such confidence is ours through Christ before God. Such confidence is this. Such confidence have we through Christ Jesus. This is the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. Not in our education, not in our beauty, not in our connections, not in our color. You see, you see, you see. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. For he trusteth in the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. So this is the confidence, such confidence as this is ours uh, before God in Christ. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. What a beautiful statement. Hey! Glory to God. He says our competences are from God. They're not from our books. They're not from our languages. They're not from our connections. They're not from our ethnicities. They're not from anywhere. They are from God. I was reading a document Somebody did a survey somewhere in uh, Europe. And um, in that survey, the first question they asked 
well, they were doing an honest survey. Are you, do you feel you're racist or not? See? And people answer, yes or no, I don't feel I am who I am, you know. And then they go on asking several questions. And then in that survey, they asked a question um, concerning the races, white, Asian, now black race. And they asked about levels of intelligence. And in that research, 70% of the people that did that research were all white color. And majority of whom were not actually racist by nature or character. They thought that 70% of the black people are dumber than the rest of the races. It's as painful as can be, but they think that some people with certain color have a low IQ. I don't blame them because I see the threshold from which they define IQ. They have IQ tests that check reasoning and logic. They can't survive in a jungle. No, they just have the logic that adds one plus two or plus three. We come from generations of men who could look at footprints and know where an animal was. Of men who sailed seas without compasses. You see what I'm saying? So it's relative. It's relative. It's relative. It's relative. It's, relative. it's, it's how they see. And we don't blame them. We're not mad at them. You see? But also there are people with this color who have believed it too. That they don't have enough. That they can't think enough. Do you know that the most notable movement in the United States was under the anointing of a black man? William Seymour. Many of them don't even know William Seymour. I drove to William Seymour's grave and I understood the racial divide can only end fastly with a church. We can't fix it by running programs in the world and in sports. It begins with a church. Go to the grave of William Seymour. I drove there and I looked at that man's grave and I looked at all the graves of his contemporaries, some of whom he laid hands on and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were of another color. You will weep. You'll understand why, like Martin Luther said, that America is most divided on Sunday morning. It begins in the message. If the message cannot unify us, nothing can. If the gospel, because in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. If the gospel cannot create that bond, nothing can. So we're wasting time in this whole things, programs that people are running in the world. It has to begin within the church, tongue-speaking people. Until we get to a point where the Caucasian, the Black, the Asian, the Hispanic, all of us can look at ourselves as children of God. We're wasting time. The message has to be able to cut across Somebody shout hallelujah. So the Bible says that don't be deceived in your own competence. Don't be deceived. That's what the Bible says that the first shall be last. Because it's not about where you are. It's not about what you have. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much education you have. Those are not qualifications with God when it comes to calling a man and anointing them for the work of ministry. The William Seymour I'm telling you about 
in the days of the Jim Crow laws when they could not allow blacks to fellowship with the whites, as Charles Parham was preaching within the church, was teaching white boys and girls about God, William Seymour sat on the stairs of the church because we were not allowed to fellowship with them. And the Spirit of God went over these colors and went on that boy and anointed him on the stairs in the cold. Even in the winter days, used to sit outside to hear the word. That's how hungry he was. And I met a man who had the memories of William Seymour and said some powerfully, say that man was hardly offended. That's why he could even sit on the stairs and receive the word. He was so hungry that he was not ready to regard how they counted him or where he was or where the laws of that nation had put him. He was hungry for God and was ready to receive it at any cost. And that's how a believer should be. Be so slow to anger. Don't be so easily offended. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, insecurity defines a certain competence that you should only have by God and then deceives you to create your own competence, which will never be enough for the work of God. And because the Bible is very clear that with the law, all mouths are stopped and all men are proved to be guilty. Are we going somewhere? Every time you read the law, you will find that you're short. You're incompetent. You're unable. You don't match up. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't lie. Who has not told a lie? So you see the power of the law. You see the doctrine of the law. Because it produces priests with infirmity. Somebody shout hallelujah. With the law, the Bible says, no man can be justified under the law. You cannot. For we know that whatsoever things the law says, the Bible says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. It's this one standard that tells you you can't. The law is there only to tell you you can't. So if you live according to it, you will never have enough of yourself. You'll always be insecure. You'll always have something with you that fades because the fallen world is fading. That is why there's nothing within the material world that is not fading. Everything was bound to die. Everything. Put a metal there for years, you'll come back and it's rusted. Because that's how it was made. That's how it was made. The fallen world, everything is melting and corrupting and dying because we are in a system of a fallen world. So he says, this is the competence that we have and that competence can only come from God. And verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit giveth life. What does that mean? If God says, I have made you competent, he means I have made you handsome enough. I have made you beautiful enough. You might have a problem with the height of three, four, four, five, but to me, you are tall enough to do what I created you to do. You speak right enough to do what I called you to do. Your voice is enough to worship me. Don't ask for more. If you think you need more, that's your problem. But when I looked at you and all that I thought you need, I believe that you have enough because your competence is not in how you're able to perform. Your competence is in me who made you and I know how much you need. This is who you are. This is how much I gave you. Be satisfied with it and trust me. I am God, your maker. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody say, God has made me competent. He's made me competent for marriage. He's made me competent for ministry. He's made me competent to excel. He's made me competent to increase and multiply. He has made me competent to overcome. He has made me competent to health. He has made me competent to wisdom. I am competent. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. For the letter kills, but the spirit giveth life. And it says, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, that is Moses, the law, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly or steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Did you hear that? Fading though it was. Now the New Testament man has seen why he was covering it. Moses never said it. Moses never told us why he was covering his face. But the man of the new covenant studies Moses and realizes, uh uh-uh, Papa Moses hid his face because something was living. He was insecure. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he says in verses 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, that same ministry of which a man veils himself is the very spirit behind condemnation. Why? Because if he should stand before men and that glory fades as he's speaking, there's a spirit that will say, look, he is also a man. It also fades off him anyway. So he's not perfect. He's not perfect. There's some with him that is lacking. Why? Because it fades. It fades. Look, look, it's fading. So Moses knows how men think. And then as it's fading, he veils himself. And then he goes and charges himself. And after charging, he comes back again and unveils and says, and it's shining. And then when he senses it's fading, since they are further, he cannot tell. He again covers himself because he knows if they can see it diminish, they'll see that part of him that is man, yet he feels Every ounce of him has consecrated him as a man of God. So God tells us that this is more than just secure, insecure. No, this is the difference of covenants. This is the difference of ministry. Some ministers are under the law or the letter. And whatever is around them is fading. And they put veils on them. One time, <laughs> oh, I went into an embassy to apply for a visa. Struggling the U.S. And I entered. One guy came in and he was putting on a black suit, a black shirt, and the priest's collar. Then he entered, da-da-da, for the interview. And then he came out. As God would have it, another guy comes in again with a collar. And he was entering as I was going out. I see another guy with a collar. And the Spirit of the Lord told me something very funny, amazing. He said, they feel insecure without that collar. The documents show that they are clergies, but they fear that if they go in a tie and a shirt, somebody might question their positions. So with that insecurity, somebody needs to put on a certain collar and a certain shirt and a certain suit, a certain way such that he can appear before the interviewer. The interviewer will see that dog collar and say, hmm, all right, come for your visa next week. You see that? So why is he putting on that collar? Is he putting on that collar because he's going to minister to people? No. Why is he putting on that collar because every day he puts on a collar? Not all put on collars every day. Perhaps these ones, he showed me. This Now, this is me and God. You can judge me all you want, but this is what he told me. This one is putting on a collar because he has the mindset that if he has a collar, they cannot deny him a visa. They will trust him because of his position. How many men of God are wearing collars? They're not dog collars like the clergy, but they are wearing certain things. How many ministers dress a certain way, drive a certain way, sit a certain way? The man sits on a chair and you think you're going to the throne of heaven before God. You understand? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? He's insecure. He wants to create a certain atmosphere. 
Because with that atmosphere, he feels that more honor and glory can be confided to him as a man of God. And of course, the simple do, because they can't tell the difference. Listen, listen. Jesus never sat on physical thrones. He was in sandals, walking on the streets, but bring the dead, bring the lame, bring the crippled. That man would heal them. Why? Because the sufficiency was of God. Some men of God, if you don't address them with a certain title, they have a problem with you. One guy came and said, Hello, Pastor. I says, Hey, call me Bishop. Hello, Bishop. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. Good to see you. God bless you. You see? Why? Because if you call him Pastor, you're demeaning him. Eh? He feels like he's not enough when you title him a certain way. Are you hearing me? But that's not the name that heals cancer. Uh-uh. There is a name which is above every name. And it said that the sound of that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Anybody can call on that name whether they have a caller or they don't. I'm not against callers. I like callers. I like them. They look so nice. Especially when the guy wearing it is deep. I like it. Are you hearing me? But with or without callers, you were anointed by God. Somebody shout hallelujah. With or without extra. Eh? Some people put on things. Eh? By the time they are done, <laughs> even the way they are walking, they hold things that are so heavy. Why? Because they have to appear a certain way. But inside, they are men. They can't heal flu. They can't cast out a devil. But that's how. Yes. Why must we do this? Why must we do this? How did Moses wear for him to have a shining face? You see what I'm saying? Be secure in who you are. There are things you will learn as you continue to understand God, that there are things that are just improvisions. These are actions that you took without preparation of mind to truly weigh them and understand why you're doing them. But the reason why it's happening is because you are insecure. But this is the confidence. I'm still talking about that confidence. And it's telling us that that ministry is a ministry of condemnation. And why does it condemn? Why? Because it always shows weakness. It shows things fading. Things go. Things pass away. Things are taken before our very own eyes. We never have enough. You will never have enough under the law. So anybody who thinks or feels that they need to perform beyond what God has given them, that person is under the law. They just don't know it. They've not understood the ministry of grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let's continue. So we see that the man of the New Testament has discovered that Moses is not just covering his face. Something is fading away and he has to improvise. <laughs> he has to improvise. So he says, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory that is upon you and I. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? That means what we have lasts. Hey, what we have lasts. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. <laughs> Glory to God. Because we have that kind of hope, we are bold. Whether you're like this or you're flat, you are bold. You know that your body doesn't make you. Uh-uh. The God in you makes you. 
Whether your nose is in east or it's west or it travels mile, it doesn't matter. You have a boldness in you that you're never going to be denied anything beautiful in God. Hey, are all handsome people married? Are all the tall ones married? Are all beautiful women married? Uh-uh. The sufficiency is of God. No matter who am I preaching to? Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen. So he says, because of this, we have a certain hope. We are very bold. Shout amen. And he says, and we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. We're not like Moses. We're not like men under the law. That's what he means. That's why when we're preaching the grace message, can I say this? Allow me to say this. Look at the people who have come to the knowledge of the grace message. Some of you who have walked with us for years. Do you realize it gave you a certain boldness? Some of you, you could not even stand on the streets and you go with this heart beating like at 180 kilometers per hour, but you stand on that street and say, praise God. And you even wonder and ask yourself, is it me? Even your OBs and OGs person, they're like, Olivia, you understand? Because they cannot believe what happened to you. But you see, they don't know what's inside there. It is not intimidated by anything. You keep your beauty, hallelujah. You keep your goodness. You keep your glory with you. Why? Because it does not fade away. It doesn't fade away because you stood on the streets preaching. Uh Uh-uh. Even better, it increases. Your value is added. Somebody shout hallelujah. You find yourself, you're able to share with people some of you, there was a time you were even afraid when you're going to church. In the days before we had smartphones, some of them would even hide Bibles in bags because they don't want you to discover that you have Bibles. Are you hearing me? And then one of those days, I'm preaching and then a video is going through the congregation and then they catch you screaming with your Bible in the air. And for some random reason, the editor catches that very clip. Are you hearing me? And as you're watching, they show you screaming with your Bible. Hallelujah! Something has happened to you. Somebody said hallelujah. It's called the boldness of the spirit of a man who carries the total affirmation that the sufficiency is of God. So they are not insecure. They are not ashamed of the gospel of God for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Gentiles. Shout hallelujah. So the Bible says, when not like Moses who put on a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds, the Bible says, were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ that veil is taken away. Only in Christ. That means if you understand Jesus, you'll be satisfied. Listen, I look in the mirror and I feel so handsome. I don't care what you think. I look in the mirror and I feel I'm tall enough. I don't give a damn what you think. I speak and I feel that I am deep. I don't care what you think. It's not pride. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. I know who is in me. Oh, somebody claim it for yourself. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. You are perfect. Tell yourself I am perfect. Say nothing is lacking. Nothing is broken. Say it. Nothing is missing. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know how much power is in those words? Any other word against that is an opinion. It's not truth. It's an opinion. It's not truth. We're not driven by opinions. We're driven by truth. 
You know that people say, you know, everyone has their own opinion. I respect your opinion. Ah, me, I don't respect opinions. I respect truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. I respect your opinions. What if somebody has an opinion that you're going to die? You respect it? Uh-uh. No, hallelujah. For he said with long life, he shall satisfy me and he shall reveal his salvation. That's the truth. So with your opinions, they don't matter. They don't matter. What matters is the truth. Look at yourself in the mirror and feel beautiful. So he says, but also, honestly, you see, it's the reality. It's the truth. Apostle, you see my nose. It's the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and nobody gets to the Father except by me. What is the truth, darling? The truth is Jesus. He says, that veil is taken away in Christ. Why? Because, let's continue. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Somebody shout hallelujah. And the Bible says, even to this day, when Moses read, the veil covers their hearts. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Hey, there is what? And we, put your name there. I want you to mention your name. We, put your name. Who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Our faces are open. They are not veiled. And because they are not veiled, we have the opportunity of increasing in splendor and in likeness every other day from one image and level of glory to another level of glory, from another level of glory to another level of glory. Because what's on you is constantly increasing. It does not fade away. It does not diminish. That means you're going to look more beautiful every day until the day you leave the world. When you're a hundred, you'll be the most beautiful thing that people... <laughs> Glory to God. And so is the path of the just. It shines brighter and brighter. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. You're more attractive now than you were yesterday. You're more attractive next week than you were last year. And no doubt in the next ten years, you're going to look more attractive, fearfully and wonderfully mad than you have been ever before. That's the glory that you've gone under. If it's wealth, it's increasing. If it's wisdom, it's increasing. If it's beauty, it's increasing. Whatever God has placed on your life, it does not fade or cease. It just continues increasing as you continue to behold the glory of God as in a mirror. Somebody say, my face is unveiled. I'm not naked. I'm clothed with Christ. I bear his image. Say it, I bear his likeness. Come and just raise your voice and start to speak to God. I refuse and I rebuke that spirit of insecurity of whatever nature. Firstly, that God helps you translate from the law, the teaching of the law, or the letter to the teaching and understanding of grace. Because the Bible says the law was brought by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. The law was given by Moses. It is given. It is given. But Grace and truth came to you. There's a difference between being given and something coming to you. Grace and truth came to you by Jesus Christ. Now that Jesus has come, 
You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are perfect in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither black nor white, neither tall nor short, for we are all perfect in the bond of that life of the new creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I rebuke every spirit of insecurity. Whatever the enemy has deceived you over the years, some of you have a past, a very bad past. You have skeletons in your closet. Remove them now by faith and say, I have no history because Jesus has forgiven all my sins from the past, present, and future. Decree upon your life in the name of Jesus that I refuse to be insecure because of my past. I refuse to be insecure because of my upbringing or background. I refuse to be insecure because of my color. I refuse to be insecure because of my education. I refuse to be insecure because of my status. In society. I refuse to be insecure because of my tribe. I refuse to be insecure because of my representation, wherever it is, whether it's figurative or otherwise. I refuse. I refuse to be insecure because of my height. I refuse to be insecure because of the shape of my body. I refuse it in the mighty name of Jesus. And I receive the image that only God has created. That I conceive, that I receive. I shall not corrupt or defile it in the mighty name of Jesus. It has left. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Glory to God. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, you have the right to be insecure. Because this veil is only done away in Christ. More than that, he shed his blood for you and he died that you might have life. The Bible says there's no name that is given under the heaven among men whereby we must be saved, save the name of Jesus. So if you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, just repeat this words after me. Say, Father, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior, and born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.